Harold, thanks for leading us in song, and Stu, thank you for playing. I hope you all get an opportunity to come and thank him as well for filling in for Amy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look this morning at uh, verses 4 through 12. And uh, <clears throat> I explained this to, in our um, Sunday school session, but we're doing a we have a kind of a standalone Sunday today, and um, we finished the sermon series last week. We have today, we have next week, we'll have a, a guest preacher with us, a missionary that we support, and uh, and then we'll begin a sermon series on the 17th, and uh, that sermon series is going to run through the course of the fall, and it will be a series of sermons on um, passages that have uh, shaped the Protestant Church. So we're going to be talking about big, big texts that kind of helped spark the Reformation and were a part of that uh, transformation in the church. And um, and that'll be through the course of the fall. So looking forward to that. But this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, probably um, one of, arguably one of the most uh, well-known passages in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your word this morning. Uh, We come to it uh, ready to hear. And Father, where there are distractions in our hearts and minds, we pray that you will help to Push those to the edges. Let our hearts be plowed and ready to receive your word. And then, Father, upon hearing it and pondering it and treasuring it in our hearts, we pray that you will allow it to uh, do a fruitful work for our good and for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk this morning. This is a, a passage that contains what's called the Shema. Um, this is kind of the uh, it's the summation of the Ten Commandments. It's a summary of the law. And when Jesus is asked in the New Testament, and he's asked um, what is the uh, what's the most important thing, Jesus repeats the Shema. He he gives that back, and so he takes that summary of the law, and he says, "You want to know what the most important thing is? Here it is: love the Lord." Your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so Jesus sums up the Shema, and, and uh, this morning we're looking at it, but we're not going to focus so much in on that as we are the verses that follow that. And we're going to be talking about uh, remembering. And um, we're going to do it under three points. First, the, the warnings we know. Second, the dangers we face. And third, the reminders that we possess. The warnings we know, the dangers we face, and the reminders that we possess. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Wally! Alright, well, this will ring true then, okay? Uh, so, <clears throat> I was a teenager. We were, uh, there was some, you know, the family was all together, and as we typically do when we're together, we're talking about things that have happened, right? You remember this time, you remember that time, and these sorts of things. So we're having a, some sort of a family discussion, and in the course of this discussion, Niagara Falls comes up. And so it's being talked about, and I say, I sure would love to see it, to which my mom and dad both, at the same time, look at me and say, you have seen it. What? I said, yes, you have been to Niagara Falls. Now, those of you who have seen Niagara Falls, which is about everybody in this room, and those of you who don't, maybe you did. <laughs> and you don't remember. Somehow... I had been to Niagara Falls in 1976, and I didn't remember it. And they reminded me by pulling out pictures of me looking at the falls. Now think about that. It's the most famous falls in America, probably Canada too, right? I mean, don't they, they share them. Uh, and so it, it's an amazing, you know, I, 600 million Cubic feet of water go over the falls every second. And if you've been there, you know, the spray and the sound and the sight. It's, it's amazing stuff. How in the world is it that I went to Niagara Falls, looked at Niagara Falls, had pictures made in front of Niagara Falls, and then only a mere six, seven, eight years later didn't remember that I had been there? How is that possible? In the text this morning, that kind of impossibility shows up. When we look at verse 12, and this is the, these are the warnings that we know, we, we hear them, they're in scripture. Verse 12 says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord you, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, Moses, so Deuteronomy is what's commonly referred to as the second giving of the law. This is the generation that is now going to cross the Jordan and take possession of the promised land. The previous disobedient generation had died, and so this generation is now going to go in and take possession of the land. And before they do that, Moses gives a series of three speeches. And this section is that first speech that he gives to them. And what's amazing is that he would even need to say the words in verse 12. 
be careful that you don't forget. And he doesn't just say, be careful that you don't forget God. He says, be careful that you don't forget the exodus. Now, that's what is significant, right? Because that's like forgetting Niagara Falls or Mount Everest or, you know, that you've seen the Pacific Ocean or something along those lines. That was a... that The thought is inconceivable. How could they forget the exodus? I mean, because just think about the event, right? Slaves in Egypt for... Years and years and years, and then through a miraculous series of interventions where God is at work and the pillar of cloud and and the pillar of fire at night, he leads them out of Egypt with Moses at the head who, you know, went and confronted Pharaoh. And then we have the whole Passover episode where all sorts of children are, you know, Slain and the lamb, the you know the blood over the doorpost, all of these things happening. Then the Egyptian army pursuing them out into the desert. The sea is opened up. They cross through on dry land. They meet with God at Mount Sinai. All of that happened, and in verse twelve, Moses looks at the people and says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. How do we forget? There's several, so I thought about this. And there there are several ways that we forget. The first is, is, um, so let's just give it a, I'm military, so let's give it an acronym. It's GOF. All right, G-O-F, getting old forgetfulness, okay? We'll just call it golf so that we don't have to say those words. <clears throat> this is a form of forgetfulness, and, and I, 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 just a confession. You all saw it on display, was it last week or two weeks ago? I, I, I forget, but you all saw it on display right here because... In the course of the service, as I got up to preach, and I apologized to her, Debbie Collins was back here, and we were going to farewell Debbie. Do you all remember this? And I walked out, and I had the going away gift for Debbie, and I looked at Debbie, I couldn't remember Debbie's name. I've had umpteen conversations with Debbie. We know each other. Um, we've had lots of communication back and forth. It was gone. Completely gone. And some of you are like, yep, I knew it. I knew he forgot her name. And so I was saying, just come on down, Debbie. And I apologized to her afterwards. She said, I totally get it. I understand, right? It's kind of, it's called getting old. So, uh, but the synapses were, were trying and they weren't making the connection. And, and so I, I saw she had her name tag on. By the time she got up here, her hair was covering her name tag. <laughs> and so as I was stumbling through that, Debbie realized what was going on and she, she, she helped me out. She, she, <laughs> she threw me a lifeline and she told me later, she said, I realized you couldn't remember my name. And, uh, look, my kids know I can't remember their names half the time. 
that's that getting old forgetfulness that it just happens, right? We, we don't remember everything that we, you know, everything that's happened. We, the database is only so large. And then the files are corrupting and, uh, and so things are happening, okay? And, and we just have that. The second part, the, the second kind of forgetfulness is what I call if. It's institutional forgiveness, okay? And that's the kind of for, uh, forgiveness, institutional forgetfulness. Um, that's the kind of forgetfulness that happens sort of, you know, <clears throat> how many of you all know how to fix a wagon wheel? How many of you know how to trap for fur? Hey, that's institutional forgetfulness. If you lived 150, 200 years ago, every male in here would know how to fix a wagon wheel, and you'd know how to trap for fur, and you'd know how to do all kinds of things that you don't know how to do anymore because you don't have to. We, we've, we we're able to forget those sorts of conventions because we don't need them anymore. We don't use them anymore. And then there's the third kind of forgetfulness, and I just call it, I mean, it's, it's neglectful forgetfulness. <clears throat> it's a failure to remember the important things. It's a failure to remember things we are supposed to remember. So, um, and I won't name any names. You've got to take the garbage out every day, okay? Uh, you got to, you've got somebody, you know, somebody's assigned to clean the cat box and somebody's assigned to do this and somebody's assigned to do that. And, oh, I forgot or, you know, whatever it is. And, and that's just kind of neglectfulness in terms of remembering. And that's what's in view in this third part. It is a forgetfulness that is, it's somewhat willful, really, um, one one trans uh, one translation of the of the idea of forget in verse twelve is cease to care. Cease to care, and as it turns out, Deuteronomy really is almost the entire book is really a book about remembering and not forgetting. It, it, it's almost all a challenge from Moses to this generation. For them to remember all of the things that had been passed on to them. And to not forget those things. How critical it would be. Because we're, we're one generation away from apostasy. And so it was really critical that he, that he do that. And that's what he does all the way through the book. Because he knows that there can be in our hearts a willful neglect to remember. A ceasing to care about the first things and the things that are important. There's a passage in the New Testament, Second uh, Peter chapter one, beginning in verse beginning in verse five. Listen to the way Peter frames this. He says, "For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Okay, what he's saying is build on your faith. And Peter's saying this, and he says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, And then he says this, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Okay, so all of those things that he just mentioned, right, that we should be adding to our faith, all of those will go away 
if you forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins. That's the bedrock foundation. The gospel is the bedrock foundation. You forget it, you move away from it, you get you you let it, you know, kind of go into disrepair in your life, and you won't be able to correctly add to your faith all of the things that he mentions. And that's the kind of forgetfulness that can cost you passion, it can cost you influence, it can cost you, you know, joy and delight in the Lord. All sorts of things come by forgetting the very foundation that our faith is built on. And so here in this passage, Moses is challenging, Peter in the New Testament challenging, don't forget God's work of salvation. Listen, that's what you boil it down to. Because Moses is challenging them. He's saying, don't, don't forget the big salvific event in your life. That event has consequences now and in the future. Because if you forget that, if you don't remember what God has done for you, you'll lose your way. You'll get off track. You'll, any number of things can happen. And so that's what he's pushing them towards. Don't forget the big first things. But how could you, how could you forget it? How could you forget the Exodus so soon after it happened? How could I have forgotten Niagara Falls? Right? And that leads us to the second point, and that's the danger that we face. And this is, this is really one of the most startling aspects of this passage. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest danger that the church faces, what would you say? Just think about it. Well, how would you, the greatest danger? ACLU? ISIS? Islam? You know, humanism, evolution. This is probably the direction most of us would go. What if I told you that the text is telling us that one of the greatest threats, one of the greatest dangers, gravest dangers for God's people is God's grace and mercy to them? Would that shock you? Look at what he says. Beginning in verse 10. When the Lord your God, when God brings you into the land that he swore. Okay? So Moses says, when God makes good on his promise to you, and he brings you into the land that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay? So when God fulfills his promises to you and he brings you into the land and he gives you that land, a land, what? Sounds pretty sweet, doesn't it? Large, flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, and vineyards and olive groves you didn't plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Okay? So what he's saying is, when you inhabit the land, when you assume responsibility for all of that and you take possession of all of the stuff 
that the people that you drive out leave behind? Now, what is that? I mean, that's God's mercy and grace to them, isn't it? I mean, you would say if, if, if a giant, you know, if, if somebody walked in and said, hey, I'm, I'm buying your house, but you can live in it, and it's yours, and here's the title, and here's the deed, and, and it, it's your house, I'm buying it for you, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna buy you a boat and, and, uh, put it down there, and I'm gonna put a dock and, in, and, and, uh, and I'm gonna give you some hunting land too. About 500 acres of hunting land down here in South Georgia. Right? What would you say? Hey, wow, what an amazing blessing. Okay? And that's what God is doing. He is, he is giving them this land, but it's the fulfillment of His promise. So, it is His grace and mercy to them as a people, as a, as that generation. And that is their problem. That is the gravest danger for them is that they would assume all of those things. Because look at how he says it at the end of verse 11. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. When you're at the point of you're satiated and it's, oh, isn't this amazing? Be careful. Be careful that you don't take your eye off first things and forget the Lord your God who gave you all of that and provided all of that for you. That ha- what an irony that it's grace and mercy that can take our take help, that can take our eyes off grace and mercy and the gospel. And yet that is so very true. And so what he says is be careful at that moment when you're enjoying and you're partaking of and you're living in all the good things he's given to you. Be careful that you don't forget the God who rescued you. Now, all of this means, right? And that the challenge is that for us to accept and understand how prone we are to forgetting. It is a part of our DNA to forget what God has done for us. Okay? That's, it's, it's hardwired, if you will, into us to not think it's dangerous, to not, to not believe that what we're experiencing isn't, you know, all okay and good. And so we're, we're hardwired by the fall to forget and to not apprehend, to not have our affections taken up and to be stirred by those things. And so we have to be really on guard because that's our natural bent, our natural proclivity and our natural wiring is to just go on our merry way and to not pay attention and to not think about the important first things, the gospel. It's presume. How many of us, though, would set off and go, eh, just going to go on my merry way and forget. No. It, it, the children of Israel didn't do that. That, that wasn't their mode. They weren't, they weren't set out about forgetting. It, but it happens. And so that is the danger that we face. That is the challenge that we have. Forgetting the big event of our lives. 
For them it was the exodus. For us, it's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the gospel. It's understanding what He has done for you and never leaving that central truth. You don't leave the gospel behind. Remember, the gospel is the foundation, the formation, and the motivation of the Christian life. It doesn't just get you into heaven. right? It is that thing by which you live in and with all along your life to the very end. So it's the bedrock foundation. It's the structural formation of the Christian life. And then it motivates us as we move out and radiate away from it out into life. And so that's the danger. What about the reminder that we possess? How do, in other words, how do we guard against and how do we rewire ourselves? And there are, there are actually a number of ways. And if you look at the beginning of the text, you'll, you'll see Moses helping them along in this respect. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then verse 6, he says, These commandments I give are to be on your hearts. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them on symbols and bind them on your forehands and write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Now, you could take all of that literally, and some people do and have, or you could understand, I think that it's figuratively speaking, make the gospel part of your the fabric of life. You're coming and going, you're visiting, you're talking, you're whatever it is you're doing, letting the letting the gospel saturate and be a part of everything that's happening as you move through life. And with your children to talk and to and to instruct and to teach and to train and then hey, notice he doesn't say go to church. Is 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 worship a part of that? Absolutely it's a part of that. It's kind of the central locus of everything that we do in our Christian lives. But it doesn't stop there. It can't. In other words, Marion and I and the elders can't do all of the lifting that needs to be done in your life for you to remember the gospel on Sunday morning in about 30 minutes. It just can't happen. It's, it's not feasible. And so you and I have to be doing that living all the way through the week. The door frames and the mailbox, you know, the gospel has got to be a part of the fabric of our lives everywhere. But it does include this morning. Includes everything that we're doing right here. Because what did the Lord give us? He gave us a day, one day in seven, where we rest. Not just, not just because it's a great day to nap. Because it's a great day to what? Remember. It's a great day to remember and not forget. That's why we worship. We don't come to church every week. I don't, I don't know what kind of your, your mind, you know, what you've, what you have in your mind when you think about church, but here's pastorally what I would encourage you to have in mind. That when you come here, you are coming 
to hear and to be reminded of God's gospel truth every week. Marion and I labor. We want to always preach Christ. We're not, you know, we're not here to give you, to beat the law into you. That's not what we want to do. What we want to do is remind you of the gospel. The law will be wrapped up in, in that. This morning, what is the law? Well, the law part of this is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the neighbor, your neighbors yourself. And remember, don't forget. But guess what? You will. And I will. Because we don't keep the law perfectly. And so we'll roll back in here next week in need of what? A fresh reminder. God loves you. He sent Jesus into the world for you. He died for you. He lived for you. And His death and His life have been credited, charged to your account. And God sees you in Christ. What good news. What great news, right? But that's news that we have to stay focused on week after week after week because we forget. And so we come here and we hear that gospel message And on mornings like this, we see that gospel message. Why? Because Jesus gave us a meal. Why did he give us a meal? To remember. They had the Passover in the Old Testament. You and I had the Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist. And he said, do it often. And remember me. And remember what I've done for you. That's what Jesus said to us. And so that's what we do. We come and we meet and we eat and we talk and we fellowship and then we go out into the week. And this is, this is a really great time to just hit that idea one more time that we're going to be plugging a lot. And that is worship plus two. Involving yourself somewhere else. Utilize the other Things that the church does, we're not. We don't just do them so we can. Well, we got we got eighteen home fellowship groups. We got lots of programs going on. No, those are practical places for you to connect. Why? So that the gospel is there before you. People are living it next to you, and you're living life together, and the gospel is a part of that. Because as a church, that's what we want to be doing. We'd be living life together. Why? Because we need each other. Because we remind each other. Because we challenge each other. Because we won't let each other get off too far without going, hey, 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 don't forget. Don't forget the Gospel. This is how you live. This is how we do this. On to the very end. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling together of the saints, which some of you are in the habit of doing. Why would you do that? Why would a, why would a Christian, why would a, why would a fellow traveler just stop availing themselves of this opportunity? Because we forget. Because we get challenged. Because we get sidetracked. Because we get our feelings hurt here or there or something's not going our way. There's all kinds of reasons why we would stop coming and hearing about the gospel. But there's danger in doing all of that. And the danger is that you forget 
the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. But you forget the Jesus of Scripture who gave himself for you and the God who loves you and calls you by name. Don't forget. Don't get far away from that gospel because that's the love of God for you and for me. Let's remember together now. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the meal that's set, for the word that is ours. Father, thank you for reminding us in so many ways of your love, your grace, your mercy for us. And now as we come to this table, we pray that you'll do it once again. Break into our hearts and our minds. Remind us who we are and who you are. For your glory and for our good. Amen.